Come on, somebody. Come on, come on. Man, I have heard of generous churches before, but you show up to a Thursday service, he's going to give you a dog? This is fantastic. Get yourself a chihuahua when you show up to Thursday's service. Pastor Dave delivering once again. Is it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Listen, I got to tell you something. You know, the 830 service, they're usually, I, I like them. But uh, this morning, I'm just saying, I, I'm a preach, so I, I need y'all. Ready? All right. Don't worry. Listen, no one knows what's going to happen in the Oakland game. You got it recorded. Just chill out. Chill out. Well, you know, come on. I just checked the, my, my team's score. I won't tell you what team it is but because uh, I want you to listen. But uh, I'm so pumped to close out this series uh, like Pastor Dave said, my name is Carl Romas. I get an awesome privilege of hanging out with you guys this morning. Here's what I want you to do. I, I got a character that we're going to talk about in Scripture. Uh, and and, and you, you know names in the Bible. Anybody here been Christian longer than 10 minutes? Like you read some names in the Bible, and you're like, Jesus, why, why you got to name him that, all right? That's this guy that we're going to talk about today. His name is Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. <laughs> See, you can't do it either. So... When I mess up in this sermon with his name, you just give me some grace because you can't say it either. Ready? Let's do the first double dog dare. I double dog dare you to say Mephibosheth three times fast. Ready? Go. Okay. See, when I mess it up, just remember this moment. Here we go. Let's get into the word. Man, there's times in our life where we experience setbacks. Has anybody ever experienced a setback? Come on, somebody, right? It's like, uh, uh, you know, uh, your shoelace breaks. Right? It's not a big deal, but it's kind of a big deal, right? Or, or, or the car starts making a noise. Anybody's car ever start making a noise and you instantly become a mechanic? You're driving the car and you're like, I do this all the time. I drive the car. Shut off the AC. Everybody be quiet. I'm going to diagnose this car while we're driving on the freeway. Right? But, but, but you know that noise means you're about to lose $1,500. <laughs> right? Or, 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 or you, got, you, got that, you got that deadline that's due from your boss and the internet goes out, right? Or, or, or come on, somebody's been here before. You're in the grocery line and, and you're up and, and, and you put that stupid card in the chip thing and it's like, no, uh, the card's not working. You're like, I swear I have money. I promise, right? You've been, you've been there before? Like, or, or you got kids. Anybody got kids, right? The kids interrupt. At the wrong time, set back, am I right? Oh, yeah, act like you don't know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> or how about this? Something happens, something blows up, something falls apart, and your savings get zapped. Or, or maybe it's a little more serious, right? Maybe your six-year-old who's been having a hard time at school falls a little bit behind on her reading because her confidence is is dropping. Maybe you're, maybe you're eating too much to mask over something that's hurting you. Maybe you're drinking too much. It's a setback. Maybe you go visit your mom and this time she forgets your name. Maybe the doctor says those terrible words. It's cancer. And on and on it goes. And we say to ourselves, 
You know what? That's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. Stuff happens to people. Do people have setbacks they can't avoid? Of course they do. But that's often where we get stuck. We get stuck in that setback. We get stuck stuck in that circumstance. We get stuck in that emotion or mentality. I took the train down to uh, the football game last weekend. And as I was on the train, I'm a weird guy. Like, I... I (laughs) I'm just inquisitive, and I got to know stuff, and I'm, I'm on the train with my wife, and I'm just, like, looking down, looking across, the, you know, out the window at the tracks, and I'm like, how do these things work? How do trains work? And so I get on the Google machine, and I start Googling the Google, and uh, I can I find this. Check this out. Tell me, you might not find this interesting, but whatever. I'm going to talk about it anyways. The, the U.S. standard for railroad gauges, for railroad gauge, so, like, the distance between the two rails. Right, the distance between the two rails. The U.S. standard for that is four feet eight and one half inches. Bingo! Why? (laughs) So I'm like, why? Google why? And the Google machine proceeds to give me the information because it's such an odd number. And I was wondering why is that? Well, it's because U.S. railways, U.S. railroads were built by the English. So when America got settled, it was English people who came here, expats, and and they built the the railways based upon the railways that they used in England. But, But why were the railways in England four feet, eight and one half inches? Well, they were that way because the tramways that preceded the roads in Europe, in England, the tramways were, the the, the width of them were four feet, eight and a half, eight eight and and, and one half inches. And I'm wondering to myself, well, why was the tramways that way? (laughs) The tramways were that way because they used the same standard and tools that they used to build wagons. And the wagon wheels were, Four feet, eight and one half inches apart. But why were the wagon wheels four feet, eight and one half inches apart? They were that way because the roads in England were built by the Imperial Roman Army. And the Imperial Roman Army made the ruts in the road when they were marching. That's what created the first tramways and highways. And the ruts in the road were four feet, eight and one half inches. But why were the Roman Imperial roads, four, the ruts in the roads, four feet, eight and a half, eight inches one inches. They were like that because the Roman chariots needed to fit in those ruts. And you know why the Roman chariots were four feet, eight and one half inches wide? Because that's the distance from one horse's cheek to the other horse's cheek. 
two Roman war horses from cheek to cheek. It is four feet, eight and one half inches. And every day in America, we send billions of pounds of cargo and people on railways that the measurement has nothing to do with engineering, has nothing to do with psychology, has nothing to do with anything. It is from one cheek to another cheek. You should not feel safe when you are taking the train. But that's the way it's always been. But that's the way it's always been. Your setback. My setback. Are set in these old ruts in the road. And they're causing you and I to allow our lives to be directed, affected, and even sidetracked by these old ruts. And we just accept it because we say that's the way it's always been. Many are stuck with that's the way it's always been. And all the meanwhile, my friends, Jesus Christ is saying to you, that he is future focused and wants your comeback to begin today. So I double dog dare you to not let your setback stop your comeback. I double dog dare you to not allow your setback to stop your comeback. This collection of books that is called the Bible, 66 books, it shows different, different characters, different accounts, different narratives. And why I love the Bible, why I love this collection of 66 books is because it not only shows the victories of people's lives, it not only shows the victory that God brought into nations and to people groups, but it also shows the setbacks that preceded those victories. Because God wants us to understand it's not always rose petals and lollipops. That oftentimes there are setbacks. But those setbacks are still under the dominion, the authority, and the sovereignty of God who says, I will bring you through those setbacks into the victory that I call for you. So I want to look at 2 Samuel this morning as we look at the life of Mephibosheth. But I want you to get some context first because you can't just open up the Bible. You can't open up a book of the Bible and just go, oh, I'm just going to open up and I'm just going to read and it, it should make sense. You got to put it all together and it's a context to every passage that we read in scripture. So in this particular passage, there's this guy named Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth has an interesting background. Mephibosheth's father is Jonathan. Jonathan was best friends with King David. Jonathan's father is King Saul. King Saul was the anointed king, the chosen king of Israel. But Saul falls out of favor with God because Saul goes his own way while God's telling him to go another way. So God anoints 
through Samuel another to be king, and that is David. But David gets along so well with Saul's son, Jonathan, and they create a, a, a brotherhood, a fraternity. They're, 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 they're kismetly knit together. But all the meanwhile, Saul is David's mortal enemy. And what happens is Saul, because he disobeys God, God's hand of favor comes off of him. Listen, I'm going to speak to you real quick this morning. Listen, some of you are wondering why you're going through what you're going through. This isn't prosperity. I want you to understand this is obedience. Some of you wonder why you're going through what you're going through. And you've got to ask yourself, has the hand of God come off of me? The beauty about it is it can always come back on to you. Not have you lost your salvation. That cannot happen. But has the hand of God gone off for you? Because oftentimes we don't even notice when it's gone until it's too late. So Saul, the hand of God comes off Saul. And Saul, his whole family gets wiped out. His three sons, all his wives, his concubines, his, most of his servants, his entire household gets wiped out. So Mephibosheth comes from a defeated family, a defeated family. Saul's sons are killed, and then Saul impales himself with a sword and takes his own life. And this is the legacy of brokenness that Mephibosheth, who's a baby when this happens, begins to deal with. Secondly, Mephibosheth is dropped as a baby. When he's five years old, because he's hidden for years, for the first five years of his life, he is hidden after Saul kills himself and, and his father dies, Mephibosheth is hidden. But as his nurse is taking him to run away so that his life won't be taken also, she drops five-year-old Mephibosheth and his legs are broken. Both of his legs are broken. He is left uh, uh, um, with a handicap. And this is a chronic and continued illness that Mephibosheth deals with the rest of his life. Then there's on the other side of the coin, there's King David, who is a depressed king. Because King David loved Jonathan. This was his homie. This was his boy. This was his road dog. And because of Saul's disobedience, Jonathan dies also. So you have a defeated family, a broken legacy, a, a chronic continued illness, and a depressed king who shows us a fractured relationship. This is Mephibosheth's life. This is what he's walking into. But first, something happens. See, but first, there's a covenant made between David and Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 20, as Jonathan is out in the field with David, Jonathan looks at David and he says, if anything comes upon me, if any harm comes upon me, would you, David, be loyal to my household? There's a covenant relationship in that moment made between Jonathan and David. Before all of the calamity happens to Mephibosheth, there's a covenant relationship between, John, between Jonathan and King David. Putting all that in your mind, let's look at the scripture together. 2 Samuel 9. It reads like this. David asks, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and David said to him, are you Ziba? 
at your service, he replied. He's not really at his service. Ziba really doesn't want Mephibosheth to come into uh, David's uh, throne room. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he is in the house of Machir, son of Imael, in Lodabar. Lodabar, you know what that means? The land of nothing. This young man with two broken feet, two crippled feet, with no kingdom to call his own, with no family, just a nurse, hidden in a cave in the land of nothing. I know some of you sitting here this morning, you feel like you're in the land of nothing. You have a hurt in your body. You have a hurt in your spirit. You have a hurt in your mind. And you feel like on top of that hurt, you are still wasting away in a land far away. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Imael. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. And this is the key passage in the scripture. Do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you all the land that belongs to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. That is the heart of the comeback right there. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Ziba was shocked at this because he expected that he would actually get this. There's always someone in your life who's trying to stop your comeback. Understand that there is someone close to you that is trying to stop your comeback. And you know who that person might even be? It might be you. Me and my wife, we're we're, we're starting Dave Ramsey. And you know how Dave Ramsey starts off Financial Peace University? He says, look in the mirror. There's the problem. Don't blame the creditors. Don't blame Look in the mirror. Blame that person. Then. I read that already, right? You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord, the king commands, your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of David's sons. Mephibosheth had a son named uh, Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. You got to understand in the first century, in, in, in this time, excuse me, this is before the first century. In this time, position at the table mattered. Where you sat at the table gave a visual recall, a visual standard to who you were in proximity to the master, in proximity to the king. 
does anybody fly here? Anybody fly often? Or you don't have to fly often. You've been on a plane before, right? Yeah, right? You know when you try to save a couple bucks on the flight and you get to the airport and you all ready and it's like, oh, no, no, no. Position matters here. Right? And you're in, the, you're in the cargo area holding on to someone's dog because you try to save $35 on Southwest, right? <laughs> Position matters. And Mephibosheth is at the king's table. The first five years of his life, Mephibosheth was heir apparent to the kingdom. By five years old, due to no fault of his own, he was living in a cave, broken and in consistent danger of being assassinated. Listen, most of us have dealt with loss before, right? Raise your hand if you've ever dealt with loss. Yeah. Most of us have dealt with illness before, in our own body or somebody we care about. Anybody have dealt with illness? Yeah, yeah. And all of us have dealt with a broken relationship. Amen? Anybody ever dealt with a broken relationship? Mephibosheth, all three, all three. And this happens because God wants to show you something this morning. Are you still with me, church? God wants to show you something this morning. Ready? Everyone, everyone will experience a setback. Everyone will experience a setback. Just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean it's all rose petals and lollipops. There will be valleys. There will be times of need. There will be times of want. There will be loss. There will be broken relationships. There will be illness in your body, in the body of a loved one. There will be waywardness. There will be famine. There will be drought financially, emotionally, spiritually. Everyone will experience setbacks. But do not let your setback stop your comeback. Do not allow your setback to stop your comeback that you would get stuck in the old wheel ruts. That you would allow God to make a new way for you. Three keys to a great comeback. Number one, every comeback needs a catalyst. Go ahead and write that in your notes. Every comeback needs a catalyst. It starts off like this. Mephibosheth is out in the desert. Mephibosheth is in the cave. Mephibosheth is broken. Mephibosheth is lost. Mephibosheth is coming from a legacy of failure. And what happens? David asked. David asked. The king remembered his promise the king david remembered the covenant that he had made with his best friend jonathan in that field many years before and he remembers that promise and he asks is there anyone left in the house of saul whom i can show kindness for jonathan's sake and what does he do he summons his enemy the king summons his enemy. Listen, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do the the, the great reveal at the end of this. You, I want to tell you up front so you get this, because some of you will not follow along with me. If I'm gonna tell you this, ready? In this story, in this story, David is God. David is Jesus. You and I, we are Mephibosheth. Okay, this is what's being illustrated here. David is God. David is Jesus, and you and I are Mephibosheth. 
David remembered the promise that he had made to Jonathan, and he summons, excuse me, and he remembers the promise, and he summons Jonathan. Remember, God made a promise to you. For those of you who are believers, God made a promise to you that he would never leave you, that he would never forsake you, that he would separate your sins as far as the east is from the west, that even though you are in the valley of the shadow of death, you shall not fear no evil, that you are more than a conqueror. God has given you promise after promise after promise, and God has not forgotten those promises. Though you might find yourself in a season of want, God has not forgotten you. If you have a son, you have a daughter, you have a spouse that isn't here this morning that you think is a thousand miles away from God, but you remember that day when they were a little boy, when they were a little girl, when they accepted Jesus into their heart, they can't lose that salvation. God remembers them. And God summons his enemies. Ready? Some of you might not be ready for this. Those of you watching online, you might not be ready for this because this ain't PC. Can't say nothing no more. Ready? Can I tell you a, a, a non-PC statement? You and I are enemies of God. You and I are enemies of God. Why are we enemies of God? God uh, Carl, I'm a good person. Oh, Lord, Carl, I'm a good person. Look at me here during the Raiders game. I'm a good person. We are enemies of God because God is holy, and we are not holy. We are enemies of God because, like it says in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fought short of the glory of God. We are enemies of God because God is mighty. God is holy. God is a perfected God. And we are blemished by sin. But, but God in all his sovereignty brings us a savior, brings us a redeemer, Brings us someone who restores us to God's original idea for us. He gives us his son, Jesus Christ. And God summons us to himself through the finished work of the cross. I've preached this stupidly before. Well, I'll say if there was 909, if there's a thousand steps between you and God, you, Jesus took 999 steps and all you got to do is take one. That's a stupid statement. If there's a thousand steps between you and God, Jesus has taken 1,001. Jesus finds you in the muck. Jesus finds me in the mire. Jesus finds us in our brokenness to remind us this one thing, my friends. Listen, he reminds us this one. You need a catalyst. You need a catalyst. I need a catalyst. Someone, something has to go ahead of me and start this work. Start this comeback and because i am saved by grace i should live by grace and i should be full of grace and extend that grace to those who are far from jesus that they would see the light of jesus in and through me two things you got to understand jesus is our catalyst and you and i need to be catalysts for someone else that's how someone's comeback is going to begin David is a model of God's love, and he reminds us every setback is an opportunity to either develop cynicism or a deepened faith. Number two, great comebacks combine humility and courage. The key passage in the scripture. Do not be afraid, circle afraid. 
David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore, circle, restore you to all the land that belongs to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table, circle, eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is, you know, double underline bowed down. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth knew his position and in his place, but he also knew the king. Mephibosheth understood his place and his position, but he also understood his proximity to the king. And he combined humility and courage. Because Mephibosheth, he did what many of us are afraid to do. He showed up. He showed up. It takes courage to show up. And he showed up at great risk. Look me in the eye, somebody. When you show up to a small group, you're showing up at great risk. Especially if it's at somebody else's house. There's no way to escape. When you show up to growth track, you're showing up at great risk. Because you're like, yeah, I've been coming here for like five years and I don't know nothing about what y'all do. (laughs) When some of you are so bold enough to come on Thursday night, you're going to show up and there's going to be less people in the room. But that means there's more seats for you to bring people to because you're the catalyst, right? We're going to talk about that later. It takes great courage to show up at great risk and that's what Mephibosheth does because he understands his position and proximity to the king Mephibosheth first thing he does is he bows down it's humility many of us are stuck in our setback you know why we're prideful we're prideful forget about being prideful with God Man, we're prideful with the people in our lives. You think he's never going to know we don't have any money. He's never going to know all these credit card bills we got. He's never going to know that I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul, that I'm ignoring that 1-800 number call because I know what they want. Oh, don't worry about opening that bill. I ain't got money for it. And it's pride that's keeping, from you from, keeping you from taking that financial peace class to really experience the freedom that God wants to give you. I'm starting mine on Thursday. Pride keeps us from apologizing. Isolation, isolation keeps us from community. Any skeptics in the house, don't raise your hand if you're a skeptic, right? A trick that pastors do. But some of you skeptics, I'm glad you're here. Already, what's keeping you from getting in front of the king? You too smart? Oh, I get it. At 45, you figured out the mysteries of the universe. I'm no apologist, okay? I let smarter people do that. I'm no apologist, but I gotta ask you a question. The skeptics, the doubters. What if you're wrong? Those of you watching online, what if you're wrong? Listen, if I'm wrong, I'm going to live a bunch of years on this, on this, on this, on this uh, big mound of dirt, and, and, and I'm going to know what community is. I'm going to know what it means to be generous. I'm going to know what it means to be benevolent. I'm going to know what it's going to mean to be a better husband, to be a better wife. I'm going to live with people who care about me when I'm sick, when I'm tired, when I'm lost, that they're going to call on me. I'm going to know what it's like to, to, to live outside of myself for greater things than myself. If you are wrong, 
What you got? A lot of explaining to do. That's what you got. Sometimes, we, I go back to the Ramsey thing. We the problem. What's keeping you from, I should change this. I'm going to change this for the next service if I can. You know what's keeping you from getting in front of the king? You. You know what's keeping Carl from getting in front of the king? Carl. I'm not even going to put it on anybody else. This is the struggle of the church today. This is the struggle of believers today. It's that we are so caught up in ourselves that we will not have the courage to humble ourselves before the king of this world and say, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers in my marriage. I don't have the answers in my finance. I don't have all the answers. Even between my two ears, I don't have all the answers. I need some help. Jesus is an ask away. He's a moment away, my friends. But so many of us, myself included, we don't want to let go. And we choose our past pain over the presence of God. And Mephibosheth did the exact opposite. Mephibosheth chose the presence of the king over the pain of his past. He chose the presence of the king over the pain of his past. You know what, friends? You'll catch me on the 80. Most days when I'm driving down here, in my car, weeping. Weeping. Not because my bank account's full, not because my marriage is perfect, not because my kids are, are awesome, not because of any of those things. You'll find me in the car weeping on this hour and a half ride down here. You know why? Because I'm in the presence of the Lord. In my car, I'll be singing the praises of Jesus. And even when life's not good, I'm in the presence of the King. And I choose the presence of the king over the pain of my past. I choose the presence over, of the king over the pain of my present. I choose the presence over the, of the king over the pain that will be around that corner. That's what Mephibosheth does, and he humbles himself. And here's what I want to tell you this morning, friends. Do not allow past pains to paralyze, postpone, predict, or prescribe the purpose position that God has for you. Do not allow past pain to paralyze, postpone, predict, or prescribe the purpose position God has for you. Would you humble yourself before the Lord? Like Moses did at Mount Sinai. He kicked off his shoes because he was on holy ground. Like Paul did as he sung out. And the prison walls shook and collapsed around him. Like Isaiah did in the throne room of God where Isaiah stands before the Lord and says, Here am I, send me. Isaiah walked into that room with nothing but willingness for God to change him, for God to use him. What's keeping you from getting in front of the king? You got to understand this. Every great comeback 
moves us from bitterness to belonging. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of, Mephibosheth, like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth adopted the king's identity that was sonship. In an instant, he went from a rebel, from an outcast, from the butt of a joke, to the son of the king. Sitting at the king's table, he adopted the king's identity. I believe this morning many of you need to adopt the king's identity. Mephibosheth, he broke the failed legacy. Carl, if you knew where I came from, if you knew where I came from, you would know why I have drunk this poison of bitterness. So many of us have drank the poison of bitterness and we are yet to taste the fruit of belonging. Scripture tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mephibosheth broke the failed legacy. And because he chose to humble himself, because he chose to allow the king to be his catalyst, Mephibosheth's place at the table and his children's place at the table was signed and sealed by authority of the king. But what I love this scripture is in the last verse, what does it say? It says, and Mephibosheth's feet were still lame. He was still lame in both feet. Though he is redeemed, though he is restored, though he is renewed, the temporal things didn't change, but the eternal things did. Are you catching where I'm going here? Don't allow your setback to stop your comeback. I remember probably the hardest season, one of the hardest seasons in my life. I had gone as far from God as you could. I, I was just, just off prodigal son in this thing. And I remember coming back home. Coming back home with all my junk, with all my sins, with all of it. And I remember, let's tell you what I remember. I remember that first night back at home. After two and a half years of running in the streets. And I come home. And I know dinner's ready. And I sheepishly walk down into our dining room. And you know what my earthly father did? My father, who's since gone to be with the Lord. You know what? My pops Eli did. He pulled the chair out for me. He pulled that chair out for me. And I sat down in that chair. No condemnation. No criticism. No correction. Their son, who was lost, who was broken in his spirit, home that's Jesus my friends that's Jesus the setbacks of Jesus he gave up heaven he was born a man became a servant taught, taught us through a fatigue and oppression tortured for his claims and died for our sins yet conquered death why So that we'd have a seat at the table. So our setback wouldn't stop our 
comeback. Understand who he is. He is the catalyst that can change any life. He is the personification of humility and courage that can turn around any circumstance. He took the bitterness of our sin and turned it into an invitation to belong to his family forever and ever. Jesus did it all so that you would have a seat at the table. So my friends, get out of those old ruts. My friends, move past that setback, not because you can, but because he did. Submit yourself to the Lord, and I double-dog dare you to try Jesus. I double-dog dare wherever you are this morning, I dare you to try Jesus. Because I tried him. I tried him. And he's good. He's good. I'm listening to this song right now. I'm not going to sing it. My wife told me not to sing it. (laughs) I want to sing it, but I'm not going to. Uh, Song goes like this. It goes like this. Goes like this. Let's go. I gotta sing. It. I'm sorry, Jen. I'm sorry. Waymaker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is who you are. I, 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 I I'm like. The, the song goes. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. My God, that is who you are. Waymaker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, that is who you are. My friends, listen to me. He's a waymaker. He's a promise keeper. That's who he is. Do me a favor, close your eyes and bow your heads. I believe there's some people in this room right now who Jesus wants to start their comeback this morning. Jesus has a seat at the table for them. And he's taken 1,001 steps to be your catalyst. And if you're in this room this morning, not worried about what anybody else is thinking about you, and you want to ask Jesus to be the king of your life, and you want to sit in that seat, you want that catalyst And for the very first time, you want to say yes to Jesus. If you're in this room and that's you, would you just throw a hand up? I'm the only one looking. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. That's not pastor talk. Those are real hands going up for Jesus. Those are real hands going up for Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My friends, you can say this prayer with me. It's not a magical prayer. It's just a call of confession. Jesus, thank you for being my comeback. Thank you for starting my comeback. Thank you for being the catalyst. Jesus, thank you for humbly, courageously taking on the bitterness of my sins and freeing me and inviting me eternity at your table. If you just prayed that prayer afterwards, I want you to go find somebody in the back and tell them about the decision you made. But I want to pray for another group of people in here. If you're in this room this morning and you're in need of a catalyst, 
If you're in this room this morning and you're in need of a catalyst, I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You need something, someone to stand in the gap for you. You are in need of a catalyst this morning. If that is you, stand to your feet. Praise Jesus. I love it that men are standing up first. Well done, men of God. And I want to pray a blessing over you. Lord Jesus, these men and women that are standing up, Lord God, may you be the catalyst in their life right here, right now. Whatever they're facing, Lord Jesus, whatever brokenness, lostness, need they're facing, Lord Jesus, would you meet them where they are? And would you be who you are to them, Lord Jesus? Would you overwhelm them with your grace as they come, as they go? Would you overwhelm them with your love as they come and they go? Would you overwhelm them with your kindness, Lord Jesus? I thank you, Lord Jesus, for these men and women that you may be a catalyst for them, that they may be a catalyst for others. If you're sitting in this room right now, in your seat where you are right now, and you're struggling with humility, you're struggling with letting people know who you are and opening up, I'm going to ask you to do the most courageous thing you're going to do all week, maybe all year so far. Would you stand up to your feet and receive a prayer and say, I, I'm not, I can't do this on my own anymore. I can't do this. Praise Jesus. Men of God standing up. Well done. Praise Jesus. Father God, I pray for these men and women who have just stood up and asked you, Lord Jesus, to give them courage to follow you, to give them courage to trust you, Lord Jesus. I pray for them right now, Lord, that you may fill them up. Fill them up with a courage, Lord God, that supersedes all things. That supersedes all things, Lord Jesus. And may they humble themselves before you, Lord God. And may you lift them up high in the seat of position. And if you're in this room right now, we've gone over, but I don't care. If you're in this room right now and you are dealing with bitterness, there's a bitterness in your spirit because of something somebody did to you, because of something you did to yourself. And you want to move from bitterness to belonging. Would you, would you stand up right now? If that's you, would you stand up? Say, I got some bitterness in my heart. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, right where you are. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that these men and women, Lord God, Jesus, may you move them from bitterness to belonging. Would you remind them that they are sons and daughters of the king? Father God, would you refine their souls? Would you know them? Would you see them? Would you touch them in such a mighty way, Lord God? That they would take on sonship, that they would take on daughtership, Lord God, and walk into redeemed, redeemhood with you, Lord God. I pray for them, Lord Jesus, that you may see them, that you may know them, that you may remind them of who you are. Would everybody stand to their feet? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this willingness, Lord God, to receive your word. Father God, not because we are right, not because we are good, but because you are sovereign. And Lord Jesus, I pray for every soul in this space, myself included, Lord Jesus, that our setback would not stop our comeback, but may our comeback be catalytically begun by you, Father Jesus. May you humble us, give us courage to move from bitterness to belonging, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done 
the finished work of the cross. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Bay Hills, I love you. You are loved. Go out there and show this world exactly who Jesus is in and through you. Have a great week, guys.